starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. But, Ma, that's my favorite movie. And I am your host, B. Day. And you know what, guys? I have got just completely confused with the days because I recently moved. Um, I'm in a new apartment, um, just adjusting to a lot of different things. And so my butt got mixed up with the days. For some reason, I was thinking... This previous week, I was supposed to skip over it, but it was just the week before that. So the Thursday, the 10th, I was supposed to skip that week, but then the 17th, you were supposed to have an episode. And so my freaking scattered brain self thought, oh yeah, I just have, I have another week I'm skipping. I don't know what I was thinking, guys, but um, you're going to end up getting two episodes this week so we can catch up and get you back on board with the content you were supposed to be getting. So yeah, um, like I mentioned, I moved and I was, I mentioned that I think like in the Thanksgiving episode, things happened a lot quicker than I thought it was going to happen. So our original date where it was supposed to happen, did it, there's just been so many things in between since I like pre-record the episode that has happened. So it's just been a lot. So y'all pray for me. But I mean, for the most part, everything's together. Everything's good. Everything's starting to smooth out now since I've actually moved. Because, um, you know, of course, getting the house together and like I said, adjusting to a lot of different things. So yeah, it's it's been a lot. Um But everything's going good. And we're wanting to get back on track because we're actually getting close. This is the third to last episode for this season this year and um I still need to prepare and kind of think of what I'm going to do for next season and when I actually intend to post next season's episodes um I'm not sure how long there's going to be a break in between um more than likely there is going to be because I just kind of get everything together and you know I want it to be good quality and I want to make sure I'm in the right headspace and all of that good stuff. Um, but we're definitely going to have a second season, but the end of the first season is going to end along with this year. Um, so yeah, we're going to go ahead and get straight into the episode. Cause I know that's what y'all have been waiting for. I'm pretty sure y'all have missed me in my absence and you're like, dang, where's this girl at? What's going on? Well, I'm here. And like, I do every time before I go any further into the episode, I have to thank my listeners. (laughs) Thank you guys. Thank you so much. If you have been, um, constantly coming back, you know, listening to each episode, or if you're just listening and you went back and listened to other episodes, I really, really appreciate that. And that makes you a real one period. And if you're a new listener, well then welcome. Thank you so much for stopping by, for giving my podcast a listen. And you are definitely in for a treat, which we will hope will keep you coming back for more. 
Now, today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's Nightmare Before Christmas. So we are going to be talking about a solo movie once again in this episode. And this isn't just a movie. It's a Disney freaking classic that will stand the test of time. It's already proven itself as far as it's like longevity and just what it's brought to the table. Um, You know, my little sisters watched it. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think anyone else in my family, but I know I grew up watching it. My sister did my little sister. And so you know, this is like a timeless classic, you know, anyone should show their kids this movie. It's very family friendly. Um, it, it looks darker than what it actually is. Um, it's just a representation of Halloween, but we're going to get into that. But, um, and there's not, there's hasn't been anything quite like this done. And, um, of course has Tim Burton's name on it. We're going to get into all those details, but the style and just everything is just, it's just different. It's cool. And it's, it's very family friendly and it's just really a good thing to like continue to show the youth to see something like that. You know, it's just not your traditional, you know, kind of movie. So it's very, very good. And I love to be able to talk about this movie because, um, it definitely is one of my, one of the movies I love. Um, you know, I have my favorite movies and then I have movies I love, and this is definitely one. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get right into this. And you know how I do guys. Lights, camera, action. Jack, please. I'm only an elected official here. I can't make decisions by myself. That quote is by the mayor who is actually voiced by Glenn Shaddix. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, who was also in Beetlejuice, which um, we talked about in our Halloween episode, like Halloween movie episode. So, yes, he is a reoccurring actor in a movie once again. And... Uh, I love the mayor and we're going to get into that. See, I feel like I kind of get ahead of myself with some things, but anywho. So yes, that's that quote. Now nightmare before Christmas was released October 29th, 1993. Um, so it was made a year after I was born and October 29th. Cause I, I pay attention to the release dates and I give you information about it, you know, in every movie I talk about and I pay attention to it because I'm trying to see like the date it comes out. Does it kind of go with what, what it's about, especially movies that are, um, holiday driven. And so October 29th release date is perfect for this movie. That would have been so, so exciting and, you know, something to look forward to. Um, so I thought that was very interesting and cool. All right, so we have the director, Henry Selick, who also directed the movie Caroline and James and the Giant Peach. And even though this is, you know, said uh, it's labeled as a Tim Burton movie, um, Henry is the one who directs it. And you can tell this style is very similar to Tim Burton's. It has a very Tim Burton-esque aesthetic to it. But also Caroline and James and the Giant Peach. So you can kind of tell Henry and Tim Burton have very similar styles. So he was actually the most, probably the most perfect person to direct this movie. 
because of the style. Um, but the writers, so we have Tim Burton listed for the characters and we're going to get more into that and um, get, get into that when we get into our behind the scenes information. Um, Tim Burton, you know, he is a director of Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, many other classics. Then we have Michael McDowell who does the adaption and I was kind of looking at that because I've seen that under like the writer's credits, they'll put in parentheses what exactly their part was in the writing portion. Not everyone is involved in the actual screenplay of it. So like what we uh, hear on the actual screen. And the only thing that I can think of is that he adapted Tim Burton's poem and then someone turned into the screenplay. And I'm not sure what all that entails into that. I want to look into that more to see. Um, because that's something I'm super curious about. But anyways, Michael McDowell, he was also a writer on Beetlejuice in the movie Thinner. And if y'all have not seen the movie Thinner, y'all should watch that. And that's one I'm definitely going to do in the future as well, because I love that movie. Then we have Caroline Thompson, who does the screenplay. She also, um, did the screenplay for Adam's Family and Edward Scissorhands. So basically these two writers, um, have worked with Tim Burton before. So um, it seems everything, everyone on board is perfect for this uh, movie. All right, so let's go ahead and get to the summary of it. So this is a tale about Halloween Town, okay? So this is where we're getting a glimpse into what Halloween is. But... I don't know. It's weird because at the beginning of the movie, it starts off and it says, you know, this is how we're showing you Halloween was made, but it's not really showing how it was made. It's just showing us like Halloween town. If literally Halloween was like, if it was in its own form and the after effects of after Halloween, I guess you could say that, but just like the entities within Halloween, like everything we'd imagine Halloween to be made of, this is what this town is. So we first get introduced to Jack Skellington, who is the pumpkin king. And he's actually been brought to life after Halloween is over. So basically what ends up happening is him as the pumpkin king. He's like in the pumpkin patch, right? So almost like a scarecrow s type of thing. But I'm guessing there's like kids and outside people who come to this town and they get to experience Halloween. They don't really explain like what his actual job is. We just see him like on this, um, not like a platform, but like almost how a scarecrow, how they're like propped up. And then he gets dipped into this whale. And when he comes back up, comes back out of it, he turns into Jack Skeleton, which is his, um, his real, um, actual form, you know, the actual skeleton. And so, um, he's, he, after he gets back to his normal form, you know, he's getting praised by all the Halloween townspeople because they absolutely adore him. They admire him and, you know, they just love him. He's the leader of what Halloween town is right now. Jack doesn't seem to reciprocate like, or revel or enjoy and being praised and loved so much. He actually shies away from it and he doesn't really encourage it. Um, but he's not rude about it. He's just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Thank you. But you know, he'd rather go off and do his own thing, which he does. 
uh, he, the, the quickest he can get away from everyone is the better for him. Right. Um, then we also get introduced to Sadly, who's voiced by Catherine. Oh, I feel like it's O'Hara or, or, or hair, maybe Hara. Excuse me if I got that wrong. Um, and she basically kind of lurks behind the scenes admiring Jack. She really likes him. Um, but she's kind of owned by this evil scientist who made her. And so she always tries to find a way to get away from him. And he always finds a way to get her. Um, but it always seems like her goal is to get away so she can be free. Because I think the evil scientist wants her to like stay locked up in this um, their house or uh wherever they would call it and I'm like oh yeah it's like their house and so he always wants to keep her there and you know of course he made her to be his mate but she definitely does not see him as that um she would she makes it very obvious how much she likes Jack even though she doesn't um go in front of the crowd or go amongst the crowd and like express her love she just kind of stays back um but you could tell she obviously does like and care about him um, so whenever Jack gets away from everyone, you know, after they're like expressing their love for him, he doesn't seem to, how would you say it? Like he's not riding on a wave of confidence or, you know, just like, just, um, enjoying their praise and kind of like just boasting off of it and just like being full of himself. He's actually seeming to be pretty I don't know if this is maybe a strong way to describe it but like almost depressed um he's depressed or he expresses his sadness because he's almost tired of being the pumpkin king he feels like there's there should be more to life or there's probably more he can do and I think that's no different than when you work a job and if it isn't something you're super passionate about that you're going to get burned out and tired of it eventually, especially when it's all, you know, and you think that maybe it, the grass could be greener on the other side. And so that's what he's dealing with right now is just being bored of what he's doing, but it also saddens him because he wishes he could do more. Um, he seems like, his character is very curious. He's very, uh, he would like to be adventurous. He would, you know, like to sightsee or see something different. But if Halloween town is all he knows, there's not much more he can do. Right. So pretty much that same night that, you know, he's feeling this way, he's expressing his feelings that, you know, he's tired of being the puppy King. Like he wants more, He ends up like just wandering just around all night because his mind is just going and he's just thinking a lot and he's just trying to figure things out for himself because they're technically just getting off of Halloween. So now he has to wait a whole nother year until Halloween comes again for him to even be the pumpkin king. But at the same time, it's like the wait till that one day comes. And then after that one day comes, it's like, what do I do? So it's just, I think the cycle of it was just, it's just too much for him. He was getting over it. So he's wandering around that night and he actually walks into this forest and I'm assuming it's a part of of the forest. Like they've been through the forest before, but not 
this part that he's landed at and he discovers these trees that are in a circle and on each one of these trees they have little doors that are in different shapes now we would recognize them as holidays but since he's from halloween town he doesn't have any idea probably the fact that his way of life is one considered a holiday and two that there would be other holidays out there besides his own so the different shapes that we see on the doors, we see a heart, which of course represents Valentine's Day. We see a four-leaf clover, which would represent St. Patty's Day or St. Patrick's Day. We see a turkey that would represent Thanksgiving. An egg represents Easter. And then we don't see it here. And I think it's because we're actually in the Halloween Town universe. But at the beginning uh, sequence we do see them literally open the door which is a pumpkin to Halloween um, and then last but not least we see a door with a Christmas tree that has like the little Christmas balls on it and presents underneath it and this door actually captures Jack's attention the most he becomes the most interested with this door because one the tree's green there's these different color balls and it looks just very very interesting so he ends up opening the door and at first it just looks like a black hole like nothing there and then as he walks away still leaving the door open like the, some wind comes in like grabs him or like blows him down into the tree and when he falls down to the bottom or wherever the end is in this hole you see like he's buried in snow he falls into like snow and it's a small little town and it's what you would think a Christmas town would look like. And so he's actually super excited to see the snow, bright colors, toys, normal looking people, um, smelling sweet and warm scents and just everything that's opposite of what his town is. So after exploring this, Chris, what he discovers is Christmas town, he goes back home and he brings back some goodies from the town to show to the townspeople. He's so excited about what he sees and he wants to share it with all of his friends. Now, the town becomes super interested about um, all of the goodies he shows him. They're excited. They have questions. They make assumptions. And it's just a totally engaging moment when Jack gets to show them about this other town that he discovered, which is a holiday, but they don't know that. So initially, Jack is really trying to figure out what Christmas is because for once in his life, he actually has a challenge. Like he's actually challenged by something which he hasn't been in a while. And um, and then meanwhile, Sally actually gets a vision that Christmas is going to go bad. Now, this is before we know anything about like what they could do with Christmas, if that makes sense, because she gets like this little Christmas tree and it actually sparks into flames. And then Jack ends up racking his brain to figure out Christmas. And he actually realizes that he can actually do Christmas. Um, and he ends up enlisting the help of the town to help them basically take over Christmas. And he gets these trick-or-treaters. Um, it's, I think, lock shock lock and barrel I think shock lock and barrel some type of order that they say it 
but um it's these three trick-or-treaters and he and he basically has them to go kidnap santa claus because he basically wants to be the only one handling christmas so he knows if he gets santa claus out the way then everything will go good jack also warns and like forcefully tells the trick-or-treaters to not let anyone know about this and especially not to tell oogie boogie about what's going on but of course these trick-or-treaters they're very mischievous um they're not very loyal um they kind of beat to their own beat to their own drum and they like to do whatever they want so like oh yeah we promise we won't tell him but it's like that's like one of the first things on their mind is to do was to go to you know oogie boogie and let him know what's going on but first they want to carry out jack's orders and do what they need to do so um as jack is preparing for christmas sally is trying to tell jack of her vision of basically like i saw what was going to happen it's not going to be good but of course jack doesn't listen to her and he insists that she makes his outfit you know because he has to dress the part of santa claus and so she goes along with it and she's like you know she does it but um she does try to do you know whatever she can to sabotage him um from actually going through with it um but the whole town is like all into it they're making the presents they're freaking you know he he gets the evil scientist to manufacture some reindeer and freaking you know jack you know he gets to dress up like santa claus and then he has his dog zero who is by his side by his side the whole time and guys i don't know if you're gonna hear some snoring in the background i'm not quite sure if my mic will pick it up but if you do please excuse it because it's my boyfriend's dog she's pretty knocked out right now she's in dreamland but anywho so yeah the whole town's into it everything's coming together from what we can see in this moment but you know obviously they're Halloween town trying to make Christmas. So it's going to look like Halloween presents, you know, creepy, frightening, scary, nothing light, fluff, fluffy, or anything a kid would want on Christmas, you know? So what ends up happening is, well, initially Sally like has this potion to make like this, the town fog up so that he won't be able to like know where to like drive his sleigh. Um, but because zero is his handy dandy loyal buddy, his nose lights up and he's actually able to guide him through the city to be able to drop off these presents. Now, like I mentioned, they created Halloween-esque toys. So they are, so the presents are scary and terrifying and they end up causing chaos in the houses that he delivered them to. And what ends up happening is all the people, they're in a frenzy. They're freaking out. So that ends up creating just a frenzy. So like all these people, they're calling 911. 911 is like getting bombarded with phone calls. And at one point, you know, they see him in the sky and they realize it isn't Santa. So they end up, you know, I guess they get their military or the cops involved to like shoot his booty down. And they do. And he ends up like landing in like one of the graveyards and this actually causes him to have an epiphany and he realizes that he is the pumpkin king. Like that's who he is. That's what he's good at. And then he's, he, he becomes like one with himself and like, okay with who he is. And then he decides like, okay, well, you know, I should 
do what's right and try to save what's left left of Christmas by getting Santa Claus to do his job. But um, the trick or treaters, since like they had captured Santa for him and then pretty much after Jack was done with them and he didn't give him any other direction, their first thought was to take him to Oogie Boogie. So then Jack is having to save um, Santa and Sally because Sally went down there to try to save Santa, but she got caught up. And so pretty much Jack ends up having to um, go against Oogie Boogie to get the two of them. And he ends up outsmarting him by getting like one of his stitches caught on like one of his machines or one of Oogie Boogie's machines, his stitches gets, gets caught and he ends up unraveling. And then he has like these bugs that were inside of him that were like the form of his body. So they end up dying. And so then they, Jack ends up freeing Santa and he has enough time to allow Santa to save Christmas. And Jack finally gets to enjoy who he is and what he is and, you know, actually be happy again and have that spark that, you know, he hasn't had for years. And then Sally and Jack end up getting together because then once Jack sees that the evil scientist has made like his actual match, then he felt like Sally could was actually free. And so they realized that they were meant for each other and you know, they end up getting together and it's very cute. All right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the behind the scenes information. And so we have a lot with this movie. Um, there's definitely a lot. Well, actually, before we get into the behind the scenes, let's go over the cast first. All right. So uh, Danny Elfman, who is known for doing the music for most of Tim Burton's movies, if I'm not mistaken, he does the singing voice for Jack Skeleton. He also does Beryl, Beryl's voice and Clown with the Tearaway Faces voice. And he has done, you know, other voices in other films, um, you know, such as like he did a voice in Corpse Bride and he did a voice in um, and some other movies. Like, it looks like there were other, like, shorts and stuff. Um, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Pretty much, like, stuff like Tim Burton did. But what Danny Elfman is mostly known for is being a, the composer and, you know, being involved in the music part of movies. Um, but I thought that was super cool that he did Jack Skeleton's singing voice. Because um, it was really nice. It was really beautiful. Then we have Chris uh, Sarandon, who does Jack Skeleton's normal talking voice. Um, he was also in Dog's Day Afternoon and Child's Play. We have Catherine O'Hara, who plays Sally slash Shock, um, which was one of the trick-or-treaters, and then Sally, which is Jack's love interest. Um, she was also in Beetlejuice that I talked about in the Halloween episode, and also The Mom and Home Alone. We have William Hickey, who plays or does the evil scientist voice. He was in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Sea of Love. We have Glenn Saddix, who does the voice of the mayor. He was also in Beetlejuice and in The Heathers. We have Paul Rubens, who does the voice of Locke. Um, he, you know, he's known for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the movies, the TV show. Um, and then also he was in the movie Matilda that I talked about in the kids episode. He had a small part in there. Ken Page does the voice of Oogie Boogie. He was in All Dogs Go to Heaven and Dreamgirls. We have Edward Ivory, who does Santa. He was in the movie Nine Months. 
Uh, we have Susan McBride, who does the voice of Big Witch in WWD, which I'm not sure what that stands for. Um, but she also did a voice in Mulan. We have Debbie Kirst, who was the corpse kid, corpse mom, small witch. She was in Monkey Bone. And we have Greg Proops, who plays the Harlequin demon, devil slash sax player. And he was in Star Wars Episode One and Brother Bear. All right, so let's go to the behind-the-scenes information. So in 2001, Walt Disney Pictures began to consider producing a sequel, but rather than using stop-motion, Disney wanted to use computer animation. Tim Burton convinced Disney to drop the idea. I was always very protective, and this is a quote, I was always protective of Nightmare Before Christmas to not do sequels or things of that kind, Burton explained. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other things just because I felt that movie had a purity to it and the people that like it. And I agree. Um, because sequels don't always do movies justice. Sometimes just the movie, the standalone, is all it needs. And sometimes it's just definitely better just to keep it that way, to keep, like he said, the purity, the originality, um, just the same sentiment to it, you know, like nothing shifts it or changes, uh, what was done in the original. All right. Uh, so then we have Danny Elfman found writing nightmares, 10 songs as one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. I had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. Now, you know, I'm no songwriter, Um, but I imagine writing a song could be difficult. I only think it would be difficult for me because I don't have an innate talent for it. Um, but someone like Danny Elfman, I could see this being like a breeze, especially if it's something that seems super fun and you get to be super creative with it. So I can understand how that could have been easy for him. Okay. Next we have. Tim Burton has said the original poem was inspired after seeing Halloween merchandise display in a store being taken down and replaced by a Christmas display. The juxtaposition of ghouls and goblins with Santa and his reindeer sparked his imagination. So basically that's a little tidbit of where they even got Nightmare Before Christmas. So it wasn't a novel. It wasn't like a little animation that they decided to turn to a movie. It was actually a I believe a three page poem that Tim Burton wrote that inspired this whole movie, which is super cool. Um, now it took a group of a hundred people, three years to complete this movie. This movie took three years to complete. So for one second of film up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. So this was a constant, like these were like clay figures and it was like, one part had to be moved, film it. Other part had to be moved, film it. This part had to move, film it. This leg was moved, film it. The other leg was moved, film it. Like constantly. That sounds so tedious and so terrible. Um, computer animation probably is much easier than doing stop motion. And this is actually the first of Disney's stop motion animated films and probably the last. <laughs> I'm not sure how many they've done in total, but... That time consuming, no one has time for all that. That's just a lot. Um, it is stated in the making of book that the most difficult shot to film in the entire movie is the shot in which Jack is reaching for the doorknob to Christmas land. Viewers can see the perfect 
surround reflection of the force around Jack in the background. So I'm assuming maybe that was hard because you're trying to get this shot of this little doorknob and then you're trying to get all of these extra things, which is Jack reaching towards it. And imagine how many times they had to like move his hand to make it reach towards the doorknob. And then, yeah. And it's only like, that part is only like a second, but just the amount of work that went into it, that's crazy. Um, Chris Sarandon was cast as Jack Skeleton because his speaking voice matched the singing voice of Danny Elfman. They couldn't have picked a more perfect person because literally you could never tell a difference that it was too, there was someone who was voicing the way he talked versus the singing like you could never tell. All right, so um, getting to into more information about the poem that Tim Burton wrote. So um, Tim Burton did write the three-page poem that was titled The Nightmare Before Christmas um, when he was a Disney animator in the early 1980s. So can you believe Tim Burton, who we know today, who has this, you know, dark, uh, like, fantasy... I mean, like, I'm not even sure how to describe his aesthetic, but I mean, you know, you hear Tim Burton's name, but you think of what, you know, his work and, and it's like he worked for Disney, like, and look who he is now. So that's insane. Um, but Burton took inspiration from TV, television specials of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1964, How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 1966, and The Poem of Visit from St. Nicholas. And then on two on the 2008 special edition Blu-ray DVD release, Christopher Lee narrates this poem with a new animated visual accompaniment. So, I I would love to see that. I would love to see how like what the original poem was. I'm going to have to look that up and then just like see what the animation the visual that they did with it that sounds super cool in the original poem written by Tim Burton the only characters that existed were Jack Zero and Santa all the other characters were made up for the movies although he described some of the presents which were given out including some cases with the names of the children now, there is um, something of a controversy over exactly who has the rights to call the story and film their own. Now, Henry Selick is the director and spent more time on the set and production than Tim Burton. So believe it or not, Tim Burton wasn't on set every day with this movie, even though it's literally called Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but however, Burton has often claimed he is the owner of the story as it was all his idea, which is true. Um, he wrote the original pro poem in most of the script, created the character, served as a producer, and even wanted to direct, but was simply too busy at the time to do so. Popular culture has long accepted the film as Burton's, as the film heading is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Burton does reinforce the fact that Selleck directed the film and is often annoyed that people don't remember him for that. Well, how can you be annoyed? If literally it says a Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, everyone's going to go with the name that's on the poster. Um, so on the direction of the film, Selleck reflected, it's as though Burton laid the egg and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hands, but his hand is in it. It was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film. 
which is not so different from my own films. When asked on Burton's involvement, Selleck claimed, I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was not in San Francisco when it was made. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. Walt Disney feature animation contributed with some of us second layering traditional animation. Burton found production somewhat difficult because he was directing Batman Returns and in pre-production of Ed Wood. So I don't know. This is that's a little confusing because it is Tim Burton's poem, but at the same time, normally the director gets the credit for the actual film since they're making the film of it. So that's what's confusing because if you take a novel and you turn it into a movie, you're going to get whatever director that's directing the movie on the title poster. Like they get the title. It will say like, you know, if Christopher Nolan took a book and made it into a film, it's going to say Christopher Nolan's whatever the book's name is. Um, so normally, even if you did create the poem or if you did originally write the content that they're making it, cause it's like basically two different mediums. They took a medium that Tim Burton wrote and turned it into a movie. So it's basically like two different entities, even though Tim Burton was a creator, because when you see, um, I don't know how it's listed. Like the only one I could think of is like Harry Potter. I don't think they, I don't know if they have a JK Rowling's Harry Potter for the movie because she didn't direct the movies. They, you know, negotiated something for her to, uh, you know, give up some of the rights so they can create the movie. And normally it's just whoever directs the movies. That's the one who gets like, this is their film. Yes. They may have took your content, but it's their film at the end of the day. So I don't know why they, they could have maybe put a Tim Burton and Henry Selleck and I remember for Christmas, they could have did a combination of names, but I don't think Tim Burton should be so annoyed by that for, or maybe he's not annoyed. Maybe that was a quote. Maybe people thought he was annoyed by it, but um, if he was, it's kind of like, how can you, when your name's on the title of it and that's what people always see. Like I literally, when I was going to write down the director of this movie, I was certainly going to put down Tim Burton because I didn't even realize it had a different director. So that's that. All right. So since this is the solo movie, I'm going to answer some of the questions. I'm actually going to do like only a couple of them. I'm not going to do all of them. I normally do because this is an animation and a lot of the other stuff isn't necessary because I feel like sometimes with animations, they're cut and dry and so mm, it doesn't really need all the extra stuff. So uh, since this is a musical overall, they're singing throughout the movie. I'll just say what my favorite songs are. And so definitely it would be this is Halloween. And what's this? What's this? There's something everywhere. What's this? What's this? And I don't want Disney to sue me because, oh, my God. Disney does not play about their stuff, okay? And then This Is Halloween, I love that song. I go off on This Is Halloween. Okay, now favorite character in this movie, I have two. Uh, the mayor, I love him because he has like multi-personalities. And watching it again, I realized, oh my God, was he like bipolar? Because he had the face where he was happy and then his face would like turn around and then it would be like his sad like distressed face and so I was thinking oh my god he's and I'm like that's me all day like moments I'm happy and the next minute I'm like distressed and freaking out and sad and so I can relate and then the second character I like didn't have a huge part in it but when I did see this character I loved them and she's called the undersea gal and so it's like this I don't want to say a mermaid but it's like this uh oh not like blue lagoon what's it called 
but it's like that creature. Mm, I don't want to say like un- not under what is it called that movie underwater where that like freaking fish fell in love with, or the woman fell in love with that fish. I cannot. It's like the, the basically it's the under if you look up undersea gal you'll see from Nightmare Before Christmas who I'm talking about, and I love her because she has this one line. She says something you make wounds ooze and flesh crawl like something like that and I just I don't know I loved her now if I could make this a sequel or origin which one would I pick and what would it be about now before I was kind of thinking about this when I read the behind the scenes information about how Tim Burton did not want to do a sequel because my initial thing was like ooh, I want to do a sequel right I mean, if you did an origin story or a sequel, it's kind of the same thing because it's going to be like a second movie branching off of this one. Um, But origin is more like a prequel. So a prequel or a sequel, but either way, it's like branching off of the original movie. And so initially I didn't want to do a sequel because I was interested what they could do with the other holidays. And if I had to choose like, okay, let's say if I did want to do that, if I had to choose, I'd probably either, originally I wanted to do Thanksgiving. But then after I thought about it, I was like, ooh, maybe Easter or St. Patty's Day. And I kind of would be super interested to see what Halloween Town would look like in the mixture with St. Patty's Day, to be honest. Because that almost gives me like leprechaun vibes. <laughs> and I'm like, um, that would be a disaster, but maybe pretty cool, depending on just like the colors and stuff and just how it would just come together. But I'm actually thinking, I'm changing my mind on the spot here. Um, I'd probably actually want to do an origin story. So more of a prequel, I would want to know how Jack became the pumpkin King. I would be super interested to see how Halloween town was built. Like we're going way, way, way back. Cause we see them as they're established. They are Halloween, but who were they before? Like that would be super interesting and cool to see, but we're never going to see any of that because Tim Burton is against it. Okay guys. So that's that. All right. Now, on a scale from theater to TV, which one would I recommend? So um, there's three options here. Uh, Would I recommend seeing it on screen, which would mean like this movie's great. Getting it on DVD, which is like, I'll wait till Redbox. I'll wait till it comes out on Redbox, Um, which it's like, I do want to see it, but I don't want to pay movie theater prices to go see it. So it's okay. And then watching on TV means I wasn't really feeling it and I'd rather watch it for free, which technically it's not for free if you're paying for cable or apps or anything and you get to see it on there. Um, but you're paying a lot less probably than what you would at the movie with movie theater prices and you're not really interested or going out your way to go rent it. So then that means it's really not on, you know, your top list to watch. So for this movie, I would definitely say on screen. Because I think it would have been a very, very good experience to see this movie on screen. Just because it's just the the originality of it, hearing the songs, you know, it, uh, it just would have been really cool to do, be able to do that. But of course, I was only like a year old <laughs> when this movie came out. So impossible. Uh, but yeah, that's how I would definitely rate this movie. I love it. It's so good. And I definitely recommend you showing your kids, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, um, you can, and, and it's versatile. You can watch this movie during Christmas time. You can watch it during Halloween. And to be honest, you can watch it any time of the year. But if you want to make it a special holiday, 
type of movie, then either one of those times would definitely work. And, um, guys, that is it. That is all I have for you. Um, I'm once again, I'm so sorry for missing out on the freaking week. And, um, I'm glad I was able to bring it to you. I'm, I hope you enjoyed it. And you know what? The show is over. The credits are rolling and I will see you at the next show time.